Well, our scripture for today comes from the prophet Jeremiah. Well, the sin of Judah is written with an iron pen. With a diamond point, it is engraved on the tablet of their hearts and on the horns of their altars, while their children remember their altars and their sacred poles, beside every green tree and on the high hills, on the mountains and the open country. Your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoil as the price of your sin throughout all your territory. By your own act, you shall lose the heritage that I gave you, and I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger, a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. Thus says the Lord, cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose heart turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see relief shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. The blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream, and it shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart and give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. May God bless this reading. I almost feel like reiterating last week's sermon and saying, man, these prophets had guts. (laughs) But actually, I wanted to start with something a little bit more frivolous. Um, this is, again, you know, I, I get to, every week you get to learn something more about the random things that I take enjoyment in. <laughs> this week I want to tell you about how in 2015 I made the really important decision in my life to follow soccer. And this is how it happened. Uh, it was probably July or August, and I had a friend from Divinity School who was a soccer fan, and he wrote a blog. You can see the blog. And he, the blog, what it was titled was How to Choose a Premier League Team. The Premier League is the English Soccer League. And basically his point was, you should choose one of six teams. Because those six teams have won every year for the last 22 years. And if you look at the standings right now, those six teams are one through six. And so I decided to choose the team Arsenal. Uh, I just, I liked the look of their players. Uh, and I think I learned later that I, I think I subconsciously chose them because I like to have my hopes raised and then dashed late in the season. <laughs> so I went into this season thinking, well, one of these six teams is going to win it. Maybe it'll be Arsenal. Who knows? And then this really random team from the center of the UK, a place called Leicester, started on a tear. Their striker, Jamie Vardy, a guy who a few years later had been a semi-professional, as in he worked part-time as a soccer player and part-time did something else, in this season scored in 11 straight matches, something that had never happened before. Halfway through the season, I remember the soccer pundit saying, this this can't last, they're going to fall off. But they kept winning. They kept doing better and better. It became 
really clear that in this year, the first year I ever watched soccer, the, first, the year in which I learned that only six teams ever win the league, that something else was going to happen. And I, it was on May 2nd, it was a 2-2 draw between Chelsea and Tottenham that sealed it. Leicester won the title. They won the league. The impossible had happened. And just to be clear how impossible this was, there was a bookie in England who the odds they had for Leicester winning the title at the beginning of the season were 5,000 to 1. The same bookie had the odds that Elvis was alive at 2,500 to 1. <laughs> As in it was more likely that Elvis still walks among us than that Leicester would win the title. I bring this up because this week, I, this, the whole plan was to have this sermon be around the song, We Shall Not Be Moved. And when I Googled, We Shall Not Be Moved, the first thing that came up was Leicester City fans, because this may surprise you, but halfway through the season, you could see the supporter groups in the stadium, in King Power Stadium, shouting this song, We Shall Not Be Moved. Jeff, could you remind people how it goes? We shall not be, we shall not be moved. We shall not be, we shall not be moved. Like a tree planted by the water. We shall not be moved. Now if you look at the videos of the soccer fans singing it, it's a lot less nice than that. <laughs> But it did, it made me think about this. You see, Lester, there was this sense among the fans that everybody said, you can't do this. And so they had this sense of, well, we need to, we are rooted. And there was something that, you know, in order to overturn the tradition and the history and the legacy and, frankly, the money spent on these teams, that they had to have this sense of, we are not going to move, period. And in a way, I, I like this juxtaposition because Lester was rooted and the Premier League was uprooted. <laughs> Right? Leicester was planted and the rest of the league was supplanted, let's say. And so it made me think about the relationship of these two things because Jeremiah is getting into this a little bit today. But this relationship between, between being firmly planted and being uprooted. And for Leicester, they had to be firmly planted. But for us in the scriptures, we hear so often that in order to be firmly planted, we first have to be uprooted. That a lot of the scripture involves not simply staying firm in what it is we already believe, but rather being moved by God to a different belief. And actually, if you go back and read when Jeremiah is being called by God, this is what God says to him. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to pluck up and pull down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So core for Jeremiah is this sense not simply of being firmly grounded, but even of digging up, of moving. And so Jeremiah, this prophet, is much like Isaiah, who we talked about last week. He is called by God to go to Israel and to bring a warning. It's kind of a similar warning to what Isaiah brought up. You... The people need to repent, need to turn away from your wrongdoing. And I have to say today, as I dug into Jeremiah, I have preached from the lectionary, from the weekly schedule of scriptures every single week. 
Uh, but this week I made a little tweak. You see the lectionary, and you'll see it in your bulletin, it just says 17.5 through 10. And in that you get this great message about how you need to be firmly planted in God and how uh, people who trust in God are like a tree planted by the water. I, it's a great message. But when you pull back a little bit and read the whole context of what Jeremiah is saying, you see that there is a little bit more to the message. You see, I think any one of us, if we said that you need to be firmly rooted in God's promise, we already have an image in our heads of what that looks like. And vice versa, if we said that you need to not follow the wicked, like our psalm said today, you have an image of that. But Jeremiah is talking about something just a little bit more nuanced and complicated than that. You see, in the time that Jeremiah is writing, Israel has, has drifted. They have turned from God. But there's this process that has happened that as the people turn away from God, they continue to pass these traditions down through the generations to their kids and their, their kids' kids. And so as these traditions are passed down, so too is the sin. So too is the turning away from God. And so at the time of Jeremiah, there are people who are 100% sure of their faith. They go to the temple like they're supposed to. They offer the right sacrifices on the right days. They go through the motions of faith in Yahweh. But then they do some other things as well. And so there's this passage in our scripture today. Their children remember their altars and their sacred poles beside every green tree and on the high hills and on the mountains in the open country. The altars and sacred poles, this is a reference to the worship of other gods. You see, they have maintained worship in God and Yahweh and have sort of started mingling in the other religious traditions around them. These poles and altars are meant to help with the harvest or with prosperity or with any other needs that people may have. At the time of Jeremiah, the people have turned away from the sole worship of Yahweh and have adapted practices and reverence for other gods. And so what the people are doing is idolatry. It's the sin of idolatry, the sin of substituting things for God that are not God. But I think the important part about this idolatry is that these people that Jeremiah is speaking to think that they are living a right faith. And frankly, you probably couldn't convince them otherwise. <laughs> but because they go through these motions and because they do the rituals and they follow the letter of the law, they are sure that they are in the right. And so Jeremiah has this line in our verse today the sin of Judah is written with an iron pen. And with a diamond point, it is engraved on the tablet of their hearts. In other places, God talks about having the law written on their hearts. Here, it's the sin. It's not just that, that they are not following the right path. It's that they don't even know it. Because following the wrong path has become so natural to them that they, they're not aware of anything different. And so if we read just the last verses of this passage, we might get the idea 
that we are to be firmly rooted in our faith. That faith means doubling down on what we believe. But when you pull back and look at the greater context of this book, of this prophet, you see that something else is going on. You see, it's one thing to say that when we are by the waterside, we should be firmly planted. But I, I wonder how many of us find ourselves next to the water all of the time. I, I worry about that. Am I sure that the way I'm living is what God wants for me in my life? Or is it what I think God wants for me in my life? Instead of being shaped by, by what is right, by what is the righteousness of God, have I inherited sins that I'm not even aware of? And so this is what is so profound about Jeremiah's words and his message. For he has been called to pluck up and pull down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and plant. It makes me become more aware that before I can rest in the knowledge that what I know to be true about the gospel is the true truth about the gospel, I think first I have to allow myself to be plucked up and replanted. That in order to find myself in God's good news, I have to also be willing to allow myself to be uprooted, to come undone a little bit, so that God's good news can work in my life. And I have many times in my life where I have felt uprooted in faith. Anybody who tells you that they never feel uprooted in faith, I don't know what they're doing. (laughs) Faith uproots us. It undoes us. It pulls us apart at times. For me, this this happens frequently. I, I get this feeling of anxiety about what I'm doing with my life and how I believe and how I practice. I have apprehension about my place in the world about the patterns of my faith and what I've come to treat as the most important thing for me. And I would tell you all, this was one of those weeks for me. I, um, on Thursday, here at the church, I hosted um, a group of clergy who are discussing a book. It's a book about racism in the United States, and it's called Dear White Christians. It's like it was written for me. Um, I'll be honest, I haven't read the book yet. I don't have the book yet. Because I decided to ship with something other than Amazon, so I just haven't seen the book yet. But during the conversation, this was a group of clergy discussing a book. Clergy love to sit around talking about books. It's one of those things that when you sign up to be a pastor, they, they mandate that you spend a certain amount of time talking about books with other people. And so we're talking about this book about racism, and we're talking about what, we, what, what racism, what role it plays in our churches and in our city. And it was, it was over 50 years ago that Martin Luther King Jr. declared that 11 a.m. on Sunday is the most segregated hour in American life. And now, decades later, we might say 10 o'clock to fit our service. But the main idea is still there. And so we discussed this book and talked about it, 
and talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And then somebody said the thing that you hate to hear. What are we going to do about it? I don't have an answer. But I've been stuck on the question ever since it was raised. It's partly because I know that anytime you talk about racism anywhere, it brings up anger and defensiveness and all sorts of negative emotions that nobody wants to deal with. And as a pastor, especially when you're new, it's difficult to bring up things that might upset people. Now, when I've been here for a while, we'll have a different conversation about that. But I'm also aware that any conversation about racism is going to require me to examine places in my life that maybe aren't so comfortable. It might require me to admit that I have prejudices that I carry with me. It might require me to admit that I have privileges that I've enjoyed in my life simply because of the color of my skin. Am I ready to confront those? Not just talk about them and talk about them and talk about them, but actually engage with them? And I bring this up less because I want to talk about racism right now, although I think it's important for the church to talk about what Jim Wallace called America's original sin. But I bring this up because this week I have felt uprooted. I can feel the footholds that I've made in my life, even in the short time that I've been here in Lafayette, erode just ever so slightly. It brings with it an anxiety and a fear and a what am I doing question that nags at me. And yet I can feel within this just the whisper of the gospel. As though God were the one revealing that my house had been built on sand, even though I didn't notice it. As though God had reached down and torn the curtain between my own sense of faith and the coming kingdom of God. As though God had begun this work in order that someday my faith might be rooted not in some illusion of right and wrong, but in the kingdom of God and the holy city and heaven on earth. So I'm aware that in order to be planted by the waterside, we have to be able to allow ourselves to be uprooted by God, to allow ourselves to rest in the challenge of the gospel. This is part of the scripture we read. It's why there is so much talk of repentance. Repentance literally meaning turning back to God. It is why there is so much need to talk about grace. Because we are all, each of us, lost at times. And it's the times when we don't realize we are lost when we are in the most danger of wandering from the path. It's, a, it's the Apostle Paul who says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And so how is it we find our path back to God? How is it that we come to be awake to the places where God is calling us to renew our journey, to renew our path? There was this, there's an old Sufi proverb 
that goes, I screamed at God for the starving child until I saw that the starving child was God screaming at me. For it is in those places in which we look at the world and see that it falls short of the promises of God that we should turn. Because it's in those places where we are forced to confront with the myriad ways in which the world suffers, in which it falls short of God's promise. It's in those places that we find shortfalls in our faith. It's in those places where the dry patterns and rituals reveal themselves to be distractions from the actual work of God. And for me this week, I was reminded that racism is one of those places where suffering continues to envelop our world. And so the reality of the life of faith is that we will come to be planted like a tree by the water. But it will only be after we allow ourselves to be uprooted and unsettled by the crucified and risen Christ. And so that, that is the challenge that we have, the challenge Jeremiah offers us. Be unsettled by the places in which the world falls short of the promise of the kingdom. Be unsettled by the places in life in which suffering continues. Be unsettled by the places where God's kingdom does not yet reign. For to be unsettled is to start the process of standing firm in our faith. Amen. Well, we come to the time in service where we offer an invitation, an invitation to join our church in membership, to stand with us in faith, to journey with us wherever it is we are going. Uh, we invite you in this time during this hymn, if you'd like to join us to come forward um, and join in membership with this community. We invite you to stand and join us in singing our hymn of commitment, I Shall Not Be Moved. <laughs>